chapter 17, Jeremiah chapter 17. If that sounds to me, there's a reason why. Jeremiah chapter 17, it is if you're seeking to memorize some verses this month. We'll dismiss our young people for time in the word. Right now, as you're turning to Jeremiah 17, young people can head to the upper room for time in the word. As we look into Jeremiah chapter 17, I said the chapter should be familiar. That is if you learn the reference as well, because our verses for this month are found in Jeremiah chapter 17. And in fact, let's go ahead and we'll say them together. It's it's verses 7 and 8a. We didn't finish completely the verse. Uh, So let's go ahead and we'll say the reference and we'll say the verses again. won't hurt you to say it a second time. And you have it right in front of you so you can cheat. This is an open book test. All right, there you go. Join with me. Jeremiah 17 and 8a. Blessed is the man who trusteth in the Lord and who hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted and out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green. And I will continue, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Uh, we're going to look in a few moments. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for the privilege we have today, freely meeting together to open the word of God and learn and hear from you. So today, as you speak from the book of Jeremiah, may our hearts and our minds be open to your truth. I pray that everyone in this room would be responsive to and and hearing what you have to say and the verses we're seeking to memorize and the message that's found in this passage, a very important one for Christians. So please touch our heart today. Help me to say what I should and to uh, refrain when I should. I pray that you would just use your word to stir us all about walking with you and enjoying a sweet fellowship with you. And we'll thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. A preacher shared this story. He said, I read about a photographer from a national magazine, and this photographer was assigned to shoot one of those big western forest fires told that uh, a small plane would be waiting uh, to fly him over the fire when he got to the airport. So when he got there, sure enough, there was a little Cessna that was waiting. He jumped in with his equipment, and he yelled, let's go. The pilot, the plane, and the photographer were soon in the air. uh, And he said, the photographer then said, fly over the north side of the fire and make several low passes. Well, why, the nervous pilot asked. Man, because I'm going to take pictures. I'm a photographer. Photographers take pictures, was his reply. There was a pause. The pilot tensely asked, you mean you're not the instructor? The pilot and the photographer both trusted someone to do something they could not do. Now, fortunately, in this case, 
thanks to communication by air traffic control, they were able to get back to the airport and safely. But the preacher concluded the story by saying, in life, trust is often put in places and people and things that are not worthy of such trust. People have entrusted friends. They listen to advice columnists or, or those on the Internet. They listen to talk shows. They may even talk to a spouse or organization, a host of other people and things. They look to advice to people for advice, and they trust in their words. But many times they find their trust has been misguided, misplaced. Many decisions lead to destruction in the wrong place. He illustrates well the instruction that God gives us in Jeremiah chapter 7 and in verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusted, that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. What is the lesson of Jeremiah chapter 17, 7 and 8? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. It's a question you probably should have already asked yourself if you're seeking to memorize these verses uh, throughout this and if you have, then you've probably read the verses that surround it, which have a very powerful message for everyone in this room, even today. Uh, first we find, and actually we're told in the verse read, we see the, the choice or command we have to trust God. He shares with us that very simple truth at, ver, at the beginning of verse 7, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. But if you're going to understand verse 7, you really got to start uh, kind of where the story starts. Maybe not where the story starts, because the story starts a long time before with the children of Israel. But in order to understand this passage and what is being shared in verse 7, you really kind of got to understand in uh, verse 5, the messenger, the one who is bringing the message. Now you say, well, I know the messenger is Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah was speaking God's word. He was giving God's message to God's people, the children of Israel. In verse 5, though, we find that what is found in verse 7 and what is taught in verse 7 are direct words from God himself. Do you see that in that first phrase? The messenger is not Jeremiah. It's not just a person speaking, if you would, and giving his own opinions and own ideas. What Jeremiah shares in verse 7 and the truth he shares actually before is very important because it comes from the very God himself. Thus saith the Lord. The call that we find in verse 7, the, the challenge that we find in verse 7, the command we find in verse 7, uh, comes from the very mouth of God to the children of Israel directly. And this makes it especially important. Now, the truth is, everything in the Bible is given by inspiration of God. Everything is breathed out by God. So every time we open the Bible, we all come to it and uh, with the understanding that thus saith the Lord. God has spoken. And such is the case with the admonition that's found in verse 7 where God says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. So the call, the choice, the command to trust God, we find God himself. Um, now the message in Israel specifically in the text before us, and the call is something that God states is a duty for them. But I'll tell you, the duty and the responsibility he calls upon them to do in verse 7, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, is something that God reiterates throughout Scripture. 
In fact, we wouldn't even have time to, to reference all of them. Just a f- few verses that maybe are familiar to you. Trust the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6, the words that Solomon wrote as given to him and directed to him by God. And so we know that to be true. Isaiah chapter 26, another very familiar passage, says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. But the verse doesn't end, and the thought doesn't end there. Verse 4 says, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah. Not just a message for the children of Israel. Quite frankly, this is a message for all of us. The psalmist wrote about it as well. Psalm 37, 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. He said, O Lord of hosts, blessed man that trusteth in thee. In Psalm chapter 84 and verse 12. All these writers urge us to listen to the words of God for in, that are found in our text today. God speaking says... Hey, listen, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. And I want you to know that this is a message today from God. And that is why it should be important to us. And that's why we need to listen to this admonition. The messenger is God himself. Uh, You've been there before, haven't you? Um, Your mom asked you to go and tell maybe a sibling to go and clean his room. and He's watching TV. So what do you do? You go running into the room because you're going to be able to tell your brother or sister that you love to boss around what they're supposed to do, right? So you run in there and say, you need to turn off the TV and go clean your room. And of course, they say, who are you? Well, you have an authority behind you, right? I mean, you didn't tell them that until they say, Or they ignore you and they just keep watching. You say, Mom said to go clean your room. And all of a sudden, that takes on a new light, doesn't it? When little brother or little sister or older brother or older sister, whoever was given the command comes in, no one's going to pay attention to that. But when mom said it, well, if you have a home where mom does what she's supposed to do, then you're going to listen to what's been said. You're going to do what's been said. And so... As we come to this passage, it behooves us at least to be reminded of the fact that these words that were spoken to the children of Israel weren't just Jeremiah's thoughts and his ideas. It wasn't something he experienced, and he said, I just want you to know this is what will happen to you. This is God himself that says this. You'll be if you put it in that perspective, God speaking here. You'll be blessed. There was nothing else in the passage. That's good enough reason for us to take very seriously the instruction and the challenge found in verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Now, that would be enough, wouldn't it? God's speaking here, people. But what I find extremely interesting is that God takes the time. God's speaking. To say, I, and I put it as the marvel. We have the messenger, but we have the marvel in this passage that God says, I want you to know the reason why you should do this. Now, wait a second. This is God speaking. 
We don't need to have any reason behind it. I mean, if mom says, clean your room, it doesn't matter what the reason is behind it. I mean, well, if she went in there and she, you know, saw banana trees growing because you had banana peels on the ground for the last month or two, she might have a number of reasons why, but mom said it. But what is so, I think, precious about this passage is that though God is speaking, God told the children of Israel in verse 8 the reason why they should do it. You should do it because God says. But then God speaking says, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. The, the marvel of this passage is that that God, who has the right to say, do this, trust me. He says, I want you to know, if you trust me, you will indeed find great blessing because here's what your life will be like. If you'll walk with me, if you'll enjoy me, if you will make your focus in life just putting your trust in me, then I want you to know that your life is going to be a fruitful life all the time. God illustrates beautifully a vivid word picture of a tree that's planted in a, in a place right by, by, right by waters that will nourish and feed that tree with everything that it needs to be fruitful so that the tree can, can have roots that are deep and that are able to draw everything that it possibly needs so that this tree, unlike a lot of trees, this tree can bear fruit how much of the time, according to verse 8? Just a certain season? All the time. All the time. You know, you know, walking with God allows a Christian fellowship with God, trusting in God, as this passage is talking about, allows a Christian to bear fruit all the time. That's amazing because we don't have trees that do anything like that. By the way, someday we'll see some trees. You know that, right? Tree of life is going to bear fruit. Every, every season there's going to be something on the tree. And God says that a Christian who trusts him, so, so God speaking could say, because I said so. <laughs> That's the famous line I'm apparently say. But God said, yeah, I said so. But I want you also to know that there's a good reason for this. I want you to be fruitful all the time. When drought comes, I want you to have plenty. I want you to be able to bear fruit in your life all the time, every time. We had um, in Illinois uh, an apple tree bear bore fruit every year, and we enjoyed applesauce from that tree that my wife would make, uh, you know, pretty much every year because we had plenty of apples. We came here with a grand idea. We're in, we're in the south. We're going to have fruit all the time, planted some fruit trees. Been here 22 years. Still have yet to, the first apple, pear, peach, because we've planted all those trees. <laughs> They're all dead and gone. There's one tree still left, one tree still standing that actually has some apples, but they've never, it's never borne anything at all. And you know, an apple tree that doesn't the only thing it does is clog up the mower, you know? And uh, it's kind of kind of a waste. But um, if we want to use the illustration that God uses, and he talked about actually 
place in this passage. It just pictures for us very vividly the great blessing of something of, of a tree that just bears fruit, not just one time during the year, but just all the time because it has, it has perfect environment. You want to know the perfect environment for your pro- productivity in your Christian life is trust in God. That, my friends, is what God is teaching us from this verse. In fact, I wanted to share the meaning, but that is ultimately the meaning. The word itself, trust, means to high for refuge. That's the word, that's the wording that they put. Now, the word high is not a term that we use in our day. Well, we think of H-I-G-H, but it's H-I-E, all right? To high for refuge. And the word is an old English word, at least in the description that was given. And the word means to go quickly to him for refuge. The idea of trusting, then, would be that I am, I am continually, if you would, running to or looking to God all the time. Uh, kind of like you would do if you saw a tornado coming and you had a, a safe house or a safe place in your house. I mean, if you saw it coming and you knew it was coming directly for your place, then it would be nice, wouldn't it, to have a place you could run to immediately and you could hide in. Well, the idea of trust is that we all the time are quickly running to God for a supply of what we need, whatever protection it might be, whether it's safety in a certain situation or whether it's wisdom for a certain situation. It's just that I am quickly all the time running to God because he is the one in whom I have put my trust. In fact, it's interesting because the word hope that's found in this verse, whose hope the Lord is. The word hope is, uh, is formulated from and it's taken from the word trust earlier in the verse. So they basically come from this, uh, the same root word as found there. So it carries the same idea that I am constantly, all the time, quickly running to God because he is the one in whom I am counting on to bring me out of the situation or to help answer the problem that I have or to deal with or to give me the direction that I need to take the next step in life. And that is what God calls upon me to do. That is what God has the right to, and he does command the children of Israel to do. And by the way, you and I this morning, because this command is something that God expects. So we have the call. Uh, We have the choice. We have the command to trust God in this passage. We have the curse or condemnation of trusting men. Did you say verses 5 and 6? We didn't really read them yet, so let's just take a moment. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. And so we have the curse or condemnation of trusting in men in verses 5 and 6. We find first in verse 5 the folly of trusting men. Cursed be the man that trusteth in, in man and maketh flesh his arm. This promise of blessing for trusting in God doesn't stand alone. It comes after God condemns or curses those who put trust in himself. You know, the tendency of our selfish human nature is to leave off trust in God and to look somewhere else. To find our hope, to find our help in other things. That's just the tendency of the human nature, the sinful human nature we have. 
and it's a dangerous proposition. You say, why? Well, actually, he tells us in verse 5, curses the man that trusts the man. Well, well, okay, why? You say, well, verse 6 is a great explanation. Yes, but actually, the next phrase tells us a little bit about it. He says, and maketh flesh his arm. You say, what is that talking about? Saying that you're trusting in something that is just flesh. It's, it's weak, it's frail. That seems to be the idea of that phrase. So look, when you're trusting in men, you're trusting in people who are frail. Now, someone may be very powerful. Someone might have the authority to do something. Someone might be a president of a company, and you talk to them, and you say, I need some help, and they might be able to help you in certain areas. But the truth is, when you trust in men, that trust and, and, and that trust is foolish because men are limited. And God is not. And that's why this contrast in verses 5 through 8 is really powerful because God says, blessed is the man that trusts in God. You know why? Because his arm isn't flesh. His arm doesn't fail. In fact, when you go through the Old Testament, you will find numerous times reference to the arm of God. The arm of flesh will fail you. Does that sound familiar? I, it was so interesting. We're, we're singing the song, Stand Up for Jesus. Come to verse 3. And I thought, man, that was in the passage. The arm of flesh will fail you, verse 3 in, in the song that we sang today uh, says. So that, hey, look, just understand this. Men can only do so much. Men only have so much ability. Men are frail. They have great limitations. And when you trust in men, and that includes your own ability because you have an arm of flesh as well, no matter how strong it may be. I mean, you know, like, again, mine. No matter how strong your arms may be, they are not strong enough to handle the difficulties of life and the struggles of life. You need God. And so putting your trust in men is truly a foolish thing to do. They may be strong arms. They may seem to be strong, but they're still arms of flesh. I said that phrase is used, and it is throughout Scripture. Um, Psalm 77, the psalmist said this, Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people. And that phrase is used many times in reference to what God did with Israel in Egypt. And God with his arm delivered them. And how God with his arm made a way through the Red Sea. And how God with his arm led them through the wilderness. And you can find references to that throughout the Old Testament. A king in Israel was seeking to inspire his people during a time of great concern. It was King Hezekiah. And they were being threatened. And these men came and they had a message from the king who said, hey, listen, just give and surrender and give yourselves to us. Give a gift to the king and you'll be able to stay in your homes. And Hezekiah stood before the children of Israel and he said this, be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. Now, it, honestly, at that point, the children of Israel would have been saying, yeah, right. But he didn't stop there. Here's what Hezekiah said. With him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord, our God, to help us. Unfair advantage. Oh, he didn't say that. But with us is the Lord, our God, to help us in the fight our battles. And this is a great statement. It's, it's rare to hear it from the children of Israel. It says, and the people rested themselves 
upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And they erected themselves in the right place. Here's the truth. There's a continual battle to turn and move your trust to men. Whether that's you got a medical problem, you don't know what to do about it, you've been trying to take care of it, and you go to a doctor and, and you start to trust in a doctor. Or whether that's I've got some situation with family and I don't know what to do and I don't know how to handle it, and you start to start to go to advice columnists, you start to, to listen on and look on the Internet for answers, and you try to find ways to deal with this, and you start to and you begin to trust in men. And the, and the truth is this is a battle that goes on continually in our lives. It was a battle Israel had to deal with. It's a battle you and I have to. And we need to come to the place where we understand that, look, with men is an arm of flesh. They can't ultimately answer. Look, look going to a doctor is a bad thing. But if your trust is only in a doctor, you're a fool. Because well, a doctor can only do so much. With them are arms of, of flesh. That as a Christian, when I go to a doctor, I go to a doctor understanding that God may use the knowledge that he has gleaned over the years in, in his profession to help give me some answers. And he may know some medications, and he may know some things, and he may be able to discern some things and help me out. But ultimately, that's because God gave him the mind that he has. And because if I'm going to be healed, it's not because I took a medication. It's because, because God brought healing. He may use medication, he may use the doctor, he may use the hospital, but it's ultimately God. And as a Christian, I must never forget that. And my life needs to be one where I'm running to God all the time. God, I got a medical problem, and I need your wisdom to know what to do. And I'm going to follow the steps that I believe that I should, and I'm going to go to my, my doctor, and I'm going to seek their advice. But, Lord, as I go, I understand that they are limited, but you aren't. And I'm trusting you to work here. And to give me the direction and guidance that I need, even either through them or through some other means. But God, I'm trusting you. And that's what he calls upon us in this passage to do. And that was what Israel struggled with. And, and please understand, that's what you and I struggle with all the time. So he tells us, the, if you would, the folly of trusting men because they're limited. Came across a story this week. Daily Bread had this article a long time ago. He says, from the book in my library comes the following incident. A marshal in Napoleon's army, a man so devoted and enthusiastically attached to Napoleon, believed he could do anything. Well, he was mortally wounded in battle. And the struggle was nearing death. And he lay dying in his tent, and he asked for Napoleon to come in he was an important man in the army, Napoleon did indeed come. And the poor man thought the emperor could do anything. He could take care of his problem. He sought to put him in place of God. So to save his life, according to this, leaving the dying man, um, just coming to the point of death, was crying out, Save me, Napoleon, save me! In the hour of death, he found, though, that even a powerful leader such as Napoleon couldn't give him physical life, couldn't meet his needs. So men can't meet our needs, only God. And that is the foolishness of trusting men. And by the way, there's the fruit of trusting men. Do you see that in our passage? Because God 
leave it just there. He said, okay, I understand, or, or just flesh. Look at what God says about the man who trusts him in. He shall be, the, the man who does that. It's going to be like the heath in the desert. See, see what is that? It's not heath bars, not candy. Okay. Um, the, the, there's debate about who cares. It's, it's a tree that's in the middle of the wilderness that has very little to supply it with, and it's just basically withering and dead. I, I think a term I would use would be tumbleweed. It's going to be like a tumbleweed out in the, the middle of the wilderness. No sustenance, nothing to provide for you. You're just going to be... You're just going to be dry. You're going to wilt. You know, there are Christians who are wilted Christians, withering Christians, just don't have anything. And here's the reason why, because their trust is in the wrong place. When you're trusting God, do you see the drastic contrast? When you're trusting men, you're, you're foolish because you're trusting people who are frail. And when you do that, your life is going to be empty. It's going to be dry. It's going to be barren. Because you're trusting in, in people that can't meet the real need that you have. But when you trust in God, you're just like a tree that just right by the water has everything that it needs. And it's, it's not only, it not only has leaves, but it has fruit all year round. I mean, it's like, it's one of, this is one of those no-brainer passages that you come to it and you say, why would I trust men? And why wouldn't I trust God? And that is how strongly God words this message to the children of Israel. To wake up. To, to understand that they weren't trusting in him. This is the message, Jeremiah. You are trusting in me. But here's the problem of this passage. They thought they That's the problem. The children of Israel thought they were. Every time Jeremiah came to them with a message from God, they either punished Jeremiah or they said, ah, you're, not, you're not being sent from God. We don't have to listen to what you have to say. God won't allow us to go into captivity. That's what's going on in this passage where Jeremiah is coming. And he's saying, God's judgment is coming, people. Wake up. You need to understand you're in bad shape. And that is where this passage is found, where God is people. Look, understand something. It's foolish to trust men. But here's the thing. The congregation of Israel, all sitting out as they listen to Jeremiah preach his message. It wasn't like this, okay? But if, if this were the picture, right? The people on the congregation would be saying, yeah, that's me. I'm trusting the Lord. Do, do, you, do you get that? That's what they were saying. That was their thought. And that is why we have verse 9. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Probably never saw it in light of the context that's going on here. But that is where Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9 comes in. He's saying to the children of Israel, you don't see it, do you? And here's why you don't see it. And this is the danger of Christianity. We don't see it. We don't see when our heart has strayed from God and when we're trusting in men and ourselves. We just don't see it. 
we can so easily get to the place where we're just living life in our own strength, doing our own thing, and we're like a heath in the desert. We're like a, a dried up twig that has nothing feeding us. We're in a desert land, and we're just dried out and dead. And here's the truth of it. We just don't see it. Let me share with you the context or the condemnation of wrong trust. And you say, well, verse 9, no. Actually, go back to verse 1. It says, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars, whilst their children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the high hills. You say, what in the world are they talking about here? I'm glad you asked. You're asking good questions today. So let me share it with you. In heart, verse 1, they had left God. You say, why take time to talk about Israel? Isn't this passage powerful enough on its own? Quite honestly, verses 5 through 8 are powerful enough on their own. And they could almost stand alone and say there's a great message here. But if you understand the context, I think it better illustrates the truth that God was sharing with Israel and with us. You see, Israel did trust in men. His arm was self-confidence. The self-confidence. They believed, and here's the truth. They would never be conquered because they were God's people. And God wouldn't abandon his people, and they still worshiped God. And they did. They still had the temple. Well, you know, whatever was, was left of it. They still had their worship of God. They still had synagogues. They still did their worship of God. But they also had their own idols and groves and other things that they did. But but they were still worshiping God. And listen, even the groves and stuff, they were they were worshiping God. They're just, they just had a different name for them and different pictures for them and different you know, different uh, wooden statues that represented them, but they were worshiping God. We're still serving God. We're still living. They believed they would never be conquered, that God was on their side, although they had left him a long time before, and they didn't even know it. And in verse 10, that's why God said, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. And according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings, I see what's going on in your heart. I know what you don't even see it. And God said, the sin of Judah, that's why he describes it. It's like it's written, it's engraven on their heart, and they can't see their heart, but I do. That is the picture of verse 1. They can't see their heart, but an engraver has taken that he has engraved every sin of Israel on their heart with a diamond, with a diamond marking tool. See, their heart was so hard that nothing would work on it. But each one of the sins of Israel was being written and engraved on the heart. And God saw that heart open and it's just like, okay. And before God, there's all of this was just open. And the children of Israel were like, we're good. And God said, we're not. I just see this engraving. I see all these things on your heart. Can't you see it? And God said, no, because your heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. And you can't know it. And you can get to the place where you just, you don't see it anymore. That's why, that's why, we, that's why we have revival meetings. That's why we have Bible preaching. 
because God's, God's spirit uses God's word to help us to see us as we are because sometimes, many times we can't. Our heart is so deceptive. It just wants to trick us into thinking we're good. God said, I see it. I see it written on your heart. The engraver has taken and he has just engraved with a dark point the sins uh, on your heart and I continually see these things. I just, it grieves me. So I'm telling you, stop trusting in men and trust in me. In action, they have brings that out. He said, uh, it was written on the tables of the heart, but on the horns of the altars and, and, and the children, they have their groves by the green trees upon the high hills. All around, you can just see the fact that Israel is sin. But here's the truth. They saw those things and they still said, God's with us. How could someone ever get that bad? See, this is what I want to do with Israel all the time. How can you not see it? Seriously, are, are, are you there with the children of Israel in the Old Testament? It's like, God, don't do that. Isn't that what you say? When, when you know, like three days in the wilderness, they don't have water. Don't do it. Because you know what's coming if you know the end of the story. It's like, don't turn from God. Don't murmur and complain. But but when 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 you're in the midst of it yourself, you just you don't see it. And that is our nature. That's why this passage is so so powerful and, and quite frankly so so convicting. Because in heart they left God and, and their sins were engraven on their heart, but they couldn't see what their heart was like anymore. But God said, All right, then look out and look all around you. And you see all those groves? I told you you're not to make any kind of idol of me. So even if you call this God, even if you are worshiping this as if it's me, it's not me, and I told you not to do that. Can't you see all around you the things that are going on that you're that show to me that you're not trusting me? They had left God. And here's what God said in verse 3. Oh, my mountain in the field, I will give thy substance and all thy treasures to the spoil. Thy hate places for sin throughout all thy thou even thyself shalt discontinue from thine heritage that I gave thee, and I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in the land which thou knowest not, for ye have kindled a fire in my anger which shall burn forever. And and this is God sharing with the children of Israel, saying, I'm just I'm fed up with it. I've I've had enough. You don't even see it. I mean I, I can point to the groves and you still just look at me like I'm serving God. So God says, hey, hey, look. Verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Stop trusting in men. Trust in me. I, I want you to be a fruitful people. I want you all the time to enjoy just a, a, a life of, of plenty. Everything that you need but it's forfeited right now because of where you're at. And my judgment is coming because and sows, he reaps. And if you just continue down this path and you don't see it and you don't do anything about your heart and you keep trusting in men, and when you trust in men, you depart from God, then this is my only alternative. And that is... That is 
is what God wants us to do. Um, I have in verses 9 and 10 the complication that hinders trusting God. See, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We're called upon to trust in God, to have our hope in Him. But look, the big problem in this situation, I know we brought it out, but it's true, is a heart that deceives us into thinking, I'm trusting God. Everything's fine. I'm right with God. Everything's okay. I go to... Here's the truth. I can be going to church. I can be reading my Bible every day and still be very far from God. And that's something that a lot of people aren't, aren't, don't understand. They don't comprehend. See, it's impossible to be reading the Bible. It's impossible to be a witness. It's impossible to, no, you can do everything in your own strength. You can trust in your own arm. You can. And that was the point God was trying to make with them and help them understand, especially as they come to verse 9, and understand that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. It gets to a place where it just, it just doesn't see it anymore. How do you illustrate that? I, well, I think it's kind of straightforward, but a number of years back, paper companies started to print numbers on the wrappers of the paper with, with numbers that said the whiteness of the paper. You know, I used to think when it, they first come out, come out with that, like 92 bright or whatever, I used to think white is white is white. This is dumb. Because that's the way I think. White is white. So one day, because um, I'm always looking for sales, I found you know, like a, a ream of bright white paper. It's like 97 white or whatever. And um, and so I, it was cheap. And I thought, church can use it cheap. We're good. All right. So I buy this ream of paper I bring in. I put it right beside the paper we've been using for like ever in the printer. I was like, ooh, ooh this paper isn't white that we've been using. But I didn't see that. And no one else, no one else came and said, Pastor, white as paper's dingy. Not white, white. Because you probably didn't notice either. But you hold them up to one another and all of a sudden you see that white is not white. You know, you know, God in his holiness puts light on our heart and, 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 and God's looking and saying, dingy paper. And, and you know what we're saying? Yeah, paper's fine. It's white. Is that where you're at? Because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. He says, your paper's white. What's the problem? And God says, here's white. you do, you'll see. You have been trusting in them. The paper is not white. And you have a desperate need. And God calls on Christians to, to examine their hearts and to do that very thing. And the reason why is because God is doing that. And the, and the white that he 
he calls upon us to have, that he wants our hearts to have, he sees that it's not that. And he says, wake up to it, Christian. Start to see this. That, that the white that your heart says is white isn't white. There's a brighter white. And you need that. Because your trust in men is just going to make you like a dried up tree in the wilderness. you to have green leaves fresh from the year round growing on your tree and it will only come as you break down that deceived and say okay God I'm going to trust in you that's Jeremiah 17, 7, and 8a. That's what God longs for from all of us. And, and what I believe God would plead with you to do today is the same thing that God's challenging me about this week. It's just ask God to help us to see our heart as He sees it. To see the white we see is not really white. That there's a brighter white that brings God's blessing. If we'll deal with our heart, we'll see that we haven't been trusting. And here's the reason why you can't, you can't trust in men and trust in God at the same time. Men have to serve two masters. When you trust men, you depart from God. That's what he said in verse 5, by the way. You have departed from the living What's your paper like? What's your paper like? Let's bow heads and close our eyes. It's a searching message. It's very encouraging in verses 7 and 8 what God longs to do, what God will do if we'll trust in Him. But we have a tendency, just like the children of Israel, to not see it. So, the kind of the challenge today is to be a, a Christian who just comes to God and says, God, search me, know my heart, try me, know my, see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the path everlasting. The prayer of the psalmist, I believe it's in Psalm 129. God, help me to see that my white isn't really white, I want to trust in you because I want to be a fruitful tree planted by the water that bears fruit all the time. I want to trust you. Christian, would that be your prayer and your desire? If it is, then, then why don't you tell the Lord that? We're going to have a hymn of invitation, and I would urge you to just make it a time of, of, of prayer as a believer. You say, God, help me to see if my heart is deceived and my paper isn't white, that I might please you and bear fruit. Father, please do a work in our midst. Um, use the words that we've been memorizing to bring about change in our lives. May we not just memorize words, but 
live the message and help us to trust in the Lord. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Don't worry about anyone else. If you would, if you're able, just stand right now to your feet. I'm going to have a play a hymn of invitation. And as he plays a, this hymn of invitation, if God's worked in your heart, if he's challenged you about this, if you need to take a few moments and, and ask him to search your heart as he's playing that very song, why don't you do it? Right now, just sit down and kneel beside the chair. Come, just get before God. Ask him to help you to see if the white of your heart is really white, if you're trusting in him. He's going to play one more verse. This is your chance just to do some business with the Lord. Thank you, Father, for uh, the very stirring challenge from your very mouth to the children of Israel, but yet to us today, because we have the same kind of heart, the same battle and the same struggles of life. The tendency to trust in men is a powerful thing, whether it's self or others around us, and to forsake trust in God. And may it be said of, of us here of me, of, of your people, they trust God. And we'll thank you for how you'll help us to see what our heart truly is like, that we might please you better and find that fruitfulness of life you want us to have. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you as you walk with him and trust him. You're dismissed. Amen.